Next Chapter Podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, it might have been 1980, but when you hear a song like this, you can tell this band is destined for greatness. Everything about it. The song is Out of Control by U2 off their 1980 album, first album, Boy. It's also number 417 out of 500 on the Spotify Ridge, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up? I'm Josh. I'm the King of Fleece. You could call me the King Kadoogal. You guys are all Kadoogles, and you're in the Fleece Army. Thank you for joining me this week. The times right now are are incredible. I don't want to say bad because I've been out there every single day with the protesters. I hate calling them protesters because there is so much love in that group. I was a part of one on Sunday that... I mean, there were 20,000 people on Hollywood Boulevard fighting for change. And it really feels like we're going to get it this time because shit needs to change. And I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't anger out of those 20,000 people. I mean, we're making our point. We're saying our chance. We're we're holding up our signs that are, are brutally honest. Defund the police. Black Lives Matter. No justice, no peace, all that stuff. And I'm telling you guys, I've never been a part of something that electric in my whole life. So to everybody out there that is fighting the good fight right now, I am with you. I love you. Whatever I can do to help, please let me know. And I mean that to all the police army out there, man. If you guys want to support JT, my producer, is going to be adding a a section to the website that's going to have links to everything, information about what's going on, the demands that the Black Lives Matter movement are asking the world for, and ways that you can help support the movement, like the Minnesota Freedom Fund, Black Lives Matter. We're going to have it all on the website. So if you want to help, just go to the500podcast.com and we got you, all right? This week, we've got a doozy of a record. The album's called Boy, the band is U2, and my guest is a huge diehard fan. The one and only Phoebe Robinson. You know Phoebe as one of the co-hosts of Two Dope Queens, not only a podcast, but it was a TV show on HBO. She has a solo podcast called So Many White Guys. She's also written two books, You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, and Everything is Trash, But It's Okay. When I say Phoebe is a diehard fan, she is a diehard fan, and we will talk all about it for you to understand why her love for U2 and Bono runs so deep. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. We got two Facebook groups, the 500 Podcast with JM and the 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, like all that information I told you about a moment ago, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 417 out of 500 with Boy By You 2. Phoebe, 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 Phoebe Robinson, Phoebe, 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 Phoebe. How was that? That was shockingly spot on. I am so impressed. I am so impressed. Well, I think I think you could probably agree with me. Out of all the U two songs and all the records, this one. Is there's not like that? It's all right. It's all right. All right. Like there's not that like that 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 chorus that just transcends the record and has become a part of like everything that we know. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And that's not a bad thing too because this is their first record. But the main question that I wanted to ask you Uh-oh. was: How <laughs> does a girl from Bedford, Ohio? <laughs> Get into Irish power pop, which means all white, pale, no sun getting motherfuckers. How? How? Because you have to, this is the thing. Is that like, we book you. I'm so excited. I'm like, yeah, she's a fan. That'd be great. And then on Mother's Day, you posted the most beautifully written tribute to Bono on his birthday. And that was the moment I was like, oh yeah, dude, this is our guest for sure, dude. So how? How does this yeah, happen? A couple of my friends were like, oh, I thought you were going to like do a post about your mom, but it's about Bono. <laughs> and I was like, the- Dude, Bono did way more than any of our mothers did. Trust. I know. I mean, it's just, it's a thing. It's so funny being so, because I was FaceTime with my parents yesterday and they were just giving me such a hard time about the fact that I'm so into YouTube. Because it's not like a... It's not like a trait that sort of like skips a generation. Like this is completely has dumbfounded the entire Robinson clan. They have no idea how this started. Like, I mean, I will say this, like my mom, you know, I think of my parents, she's definitely was like the more adventurous one. Like she loved Luther Vandross. She loved like Rod Stewart. So she had a pretty like, you know, a lot of like old school R&B, a lot of like funk. So she had a pretty wide range of sort of music tastes. And I think my dad is just more specifically like Shaka Khan and jazz. And that's kind of like his lane. Um, and so I think like because my mom was so musically adventurous, like I would sort of listen to what she listened to. I would sort of just like go to the library back when we could go to libraries. And I would just randomly like... You know, you just like randomly like pick a CD and be like, oh, my mom likes this. And maybe I'll check this out. But I think I got into YouTube when I was 13 or 14. And I used to listen to this like classic rock station in um, 
in Ohio. And I think it was Pride was like the first UT song that I heard. And I was like, oh, this just feels different than any. Like, I just connected with it in a way where I was like, oh, this is a different musical experience I'm having right now. So then I went to the library and I truly just like started checking out their CDs and like buying them and like recording songs off the radio with like my boombox. I sound so old, but this is like, you know what I mean? Like speaking my sweet, sweet. My wonder years. You're, you're, what would you do if I sang on this? Where's Winnie Cooper at right now? Because I'm feeling the back days, dude. But it was just like, it felt really cool to sort of just, I felt like I discovered this band because truly like yeah. no one in middle school or high school was listening. Like they were all like, you know, Britney Spears, you know, Bone Thugs, which I, I love Bone Thugs, but... It just felt like I was sort of like had this band that was mine because like no one else at school was into it. So it made me like love them even more. And I I just got hooked. And so so this is at so this is you said like 14 years old. Yeah. So then how how did it manifest (laughs) into a Bono birthday pose? Because that's that's like because like 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 Jimmy Cobb from the Miles Davis uh, sextet just passed away. He's like one of the greatest jazz drummers of all time. Kind of Blue is one of my favorite records. So I put the post up on his, that he died. Yeah. I missed every one of his birthdays where I've been a fan, but I put up like the, I have to put up because I have to show the respect. This is just you giving a birthday shout out. So tell me, how, how did it just manifest? I think I just I just kept being so into you two, and then in college, I think it was like the summer of like maybe my junior year or something. I went to go see. It was my first concert ever because my parents were like, "We're not driving to concerts. We don't care that you like Spice Girls. Like we don't care about you two. Like stay your black ass at home and watch Moesha." So like I never, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I never got to go to any concerts. And so I remember like I worked work study and I was like, "I'm gonna go to U two concert." And so I could just not to cut you off, but I could just imagine <laughs> your parents being like, "Oh, you two again? Here, just uh, did, did you see the Earth, Wind, and Fire CD I left on your bed?" Did you see the, the Commodores? And you, you're still listening? Okay. More YouTube. You're like, are you going to double down this? <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so I was supposed to go with a friend of mine, but her and I had a falling out. So I went to my very first concert ever, and it was a YouTube concert, and I went by myself, and I had the most fun, and I, and I had shitty seats. I couldn't afford anything. My, she, my seats were so shitty, but I had truly the best time. And so that sort of, like... I just kept with it. And so then I would just like go to as many concerts as I could. And then happened to meet Bono in 2017 at Bonnaroo. And that's sort of like how we started. Like, I don't even want to call it a relationship, but like every once in a while, we'll, he'll make contact. And that's like, but it's just, he's. What is it? Wait, 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 wait. What is it like? What is it like? What's the contact like? You can't just skirt over Well, that. he is like the nicest guy. I got it. Like, he's truly like, I mean, of course, he's like a, a lead singer of a rock band. So he's like charming and he's smooth and he knows like. He's bigger than that. Right. He, but he's he's bigger than yeah. that. He's not just a singer anymore. He is he is a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. He is a, he is like a light in, in a world of such darkness. Yeah. I, I hate to say it like that, but it'd be so pessimistic. But yeah, it's like you see Bono and he, he like glows. Yeah. Almost. And it was really yeah. nice because he's not a surface level person when you chat. So we would just talk about like. Like regular life shit and he would like talk to my boyfriend and and it was just like really this really if you would have told 14 year old phoebe like when you're in your 30s you're gonna like 
vaguely become friends with Bono. I've been like, how? What? Never going to happen. But um, because I can't like her. What are you talking about? Like how? Like you can't just shoot this shit with Bono. You can't just be like, hey, you see the Knicks game last night, Bono? Or like, yes, it was a good game. I mean, I definitely the first few times I was just like, oh, I don't. I was so nervous about saying anything wrong, and I get that way around anyone like that, like him or Michelle Obama, where I'm like, I don't, sure. I don't want to sound like an idiot. Like that's the only goal, and I don't remember anything other than like, oh, I didn't fuck that up. So it's just, I feel like because. I like sort of shouted out, read his like philanthropy that he does. Um, and he's his team like listened to like a lot of Tito Queens and went to my stand up comedy shows. So then like they sort of like showed him. I don't know what he heard from Tito Queens, but I know that he has listened to the podcast. And I'm like, I say a lot of fucking ignorant, ratchet ass shit on that show, but he's listened <laughs> to it. And he's just been so nice. And I, I really feel like he's sort of kind of he's an example of like how you can do fame right like I will never get to his level and I don't want to and I aspire to that but like he's so he gives back as much as he gets which I think is huge and most people don't do that famous or not you know no completely there's there's like I said there's something special about this band like my old roommate was obsessed with them obsessed goes to all of their shows I have yet to see them I think that because oh I, my god, I know, and I will, and I will, and and this this is like the I, to be honest with you, because I'm going to blow your mind. I I know all the hits. The mm-hmm. only record of theirs I've listened to all the way through is Joshua Tree, and the mm-hmm. only reason I got mm-hmm. into it was because my dentist, as a young kid, had a poster, <laughs> that famous poster of them like yeah. standing out in Joshua Tree. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. because my name is Josh, I was like, well, I have to listen to this, and it just like <laughs> it has it, that album in my opinion is, is so perfect for multitude of reasons. Main reason is where the streets have no name, because I think yeah. that is one of the most beautiful, powerful songs ever written. And uh, it, that's solidified. If you've seen, which I know you have the Super Bowl performance mm-hmm. after nine 11, I still watch that. I, I'm about to cry thinking about it. Cause it's just, even with him, Doing yeah. that, he's killing it. And right at the end, he does that cheesy American he, flag and just yeah. goes like, ah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, Bono, only Bono, only Bono. <laughs> he's probably got on the other side, like another flag. He's like, wait, what flag am I doing? We're in America? Okay, I got the American flag. But there's, I. this is my first dip into another full record by them. Wow. And, this, and I that's mean, very exciting. That's interesting. It was. Okay. It, and yeah. this is, and, it, and I think you'll probably agree with me. This record is unlike anything that they had put out after, because I can hear the, the, the U2 sound of now in the record after this, which I think is war. Like you can hear that. Cause I know when you hear like a uh, Sunday, bloody Sunday, I mean, that's like yeah. what I thought about early, about early too. Like this is more of like a, like a post punk record. Yeah. It's, it's like, like who are the bands that I, that it, that they were influenced by like the jam sex pistols, the clash, like any of the big punk bands, but this is like their version of this is you two in a sense doing a punk record. So tell me what you think of this record and like your first experience with it. 
So I will say that this is not one of my favorite U2 records, and I feel so bad saying it, but I have to be honest. I, I, what, I feel like they're post-punk, so I don't want to say like, well, I will say this, because I do think they tend to experiment with different sounds, but always, it doesn't feel like cheesy or gimmicky when they experiment with it. It's yeah. more like they're trying to f- find a new iteration of themselves in order to keep going, which I always find is fascinating. Um, but it, it's sort of like interesting to listen to it now as like a 30 something because it's it has so much sort of like teenage angst and sort of like confusion and sort of like rage at the world that like you're like oh I don't know if I necessarily feel that but then also the world that we live in you're like it's very applicable to now Um, but you know I think about songs like I Will Follow which I still think is one of their best songs ever and that came out in 1980 you know what I mean like it just is such an incredible way to kick off an album and like Every time, like I've seen them, I want to say 28 times. What? I've seen them a lot Dude, of times. Wait. So wait, you saw, you saw <laughs> pop, you saw the pop tour. No, I have it written in my phone. This is how Hit much me. of a nerd Please. I am. Hit me. This is, I guys, this is so embarrassing, but no, I'm it's so not. glad I, I can I've be. Seen, I've seen Beck, I've seen Beck 18 times. Uh, and at least. Oh, that's awesome. He, but Beck play he literally does the same show every time, and I, but it's like so I've kind of stopped going. But yeah, yeah. I mean he's got he's got eighteen shows worth of my money and T-shirts yeah. and all the other <laughs> shit too. All right, what was the first so, tour? What was the first? So tour? first tour was Vertical tour in October Ooh. October two thousand five. Then I started doing stand up like two thousand eight, and I had no money. LOL. So then I couldn't see them on the three sixty tour, which still pains me because I heard that that was their best tour ever. Uh. Um. So then I saw them again for Innocence and Experience, and I saw them five times for the Joshua Tree Tour in 2017. Experience and Innocence, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. And then their last run of Joshua Tree three times in Auckland and in Mumbai. So I really, I really just, you that's. Travel. I travel like you for really them. really travel. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. I was hot shit for going to see Beck in Arizona, yeah. and you're like, you're like, honey, we, I go to Mumbai. <laughs> <laughs> the bringing back, the bringing back Zuropa. I got to see Zuropa. I missed it in the first trip. The crazy thing is, so it was my brother, not my brother, my boyfriend's birthday, his December thirteenth, and I had this great like birthday weekend in New York. And then Bono's team was like, oh, the last show is going to be Mumbai. They've never performed Mumbai. Maybe you should come. And I was like, all right, let me ask my boyfriend. And I was like, I know it's your birthday weekend, but can we go to India to see you two? And he was like, sure. So I changed our entire trip, canceled everything in New York, and we flew to India. And it was like such a great show. But I, I, I've done a 24-hour trip to Dublin to see them. Like, I do not mess around. I like dedicated. What show is the one that that changed your life? Like, is what's the moment oh where you were like, "This is it can never get better than this," and you're just chasing that dragon every show you go to after? I want to say the the Joshua Tree in 2017 because I just think like they were so amped for like. I think they didn't expect, like, they certainly didn't plan on doing that tour. They thought, like, Bonnaroo, like, one off, it's whatever. But then, like, everyone went so nutso for it. So when they were like, all right, we're going to do a whole tour, like, there was just this energy. And, like, for me, like, I was 
three when that album came out, so I never got wow. to see them do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to see them do it in its entirety was just so great with like the massive screens and they had. You know, the visuals that went along with all the songs and, like, helped tell the story. Like, I just thought it was one of those when you're, like, you know, we see someone who's, like, 20 years in, 30 years in and doing something. You're, like, they're just so fucking good. And you can only get that good if you've been doing it for 30 years. It was just really magical and special. And his voice sounded phenomenal. And Edge was just, it was just great. It was a perfect, perfect, perfect show. I think I'm going to regret not going to that show I pray they will do it again because like, especially I think in the last few years, I've just been like, all I want to do is just, I see the bands that, that I've loved or I've liked or, or just mm-hmm. I've grown up with. And I know how good it'll be. I know it. And I know I'll walk out, you know, and donate money to the UNICEF or some <laughs> yeah. shit. And, and I'll be like, I'll be like, yeah, this is what I'm, this is who I am now. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. All right, so let's let's find out a little bit about the band. All right, so this was released October 20th, 1980 on Island Records. It's produced by Steve Lillywhite, and it's the debut record from U2. So I don't know if you know this, but in 1976, vocalist Paul Hewson, guitarist David Evans, and bassist Adam Clayton, your boy. I know you were, I know you were a Clayton fan. Girl, I know, I know you love the Clayton. They're all teenage students at Mount Temple Comprehensive School in Dublin. 14-year-old drummer Larry Mullen Jr. posted a note on the school's bulletin board looking for musicians to start and I'm not lying, the Larry Mullen Band. So that is the original name of U2, the Larry Mullen Band. The No offense, Larry, but Bono's sexier, the Edge is sexier. <laughs> Adam's, Adam looks like he needs to eat a sandwich a little bit. Adam kind of looks emaciated. Am I wrong? Am I, I, I mean, feel like they've all, they all look like... Not Macy, but they're all like, here's the thing about like, whenever you meet like anyone famous, they all almost always look smaller. They're almost shorter. Bottle's not tiny. That's my bae. He's not tiny, but they're all like, 
they're you know when you see them on tv it's just like the aura of the presence and then you're like oh you're a regular person like i could stand behind you in trader joe's yeah. and be like look at this fucking idiot getting no name brand nuggets like you know what i mean like <laughs> it's like they're not like this over the only person who i saw i didn't meet him but when i saw him i was like that's a person was jason momoa he is massive Oh yeah, I've actually I was like, the, the wow. scar, the scar yeah. above his eye. I was there that night at El Cid when a guy broke a bottle over his face. I, I was, I'm friends with a lot of friends of his. Whoa. My cousin is friends with all of his homies, and he's like a fucking, like he's a giant. Yeah, he's, he's like, he's like a lummox. He's huge. So, yeah. So, but so I'm glad. Good to know that Bono's got some. You know, he's got some. See, I mean, he's got like CrossFit body. They all, they all yeah. look like they, <laughs> they all look like they did Murph on Memorial Day. All right. So here's here's how Bono got the name and how the Edge got the name. All right. So the neighborhood gang nicknamed Paul Bono for a shortened version of. Do you know this? Bono Vox, which Bono means beautiful Vox. voice. Hundred percent. And then David, they named the Edge because of his chin. It was very sharp, pointy. Sha- yeah. Shape. Of, I, I have shape of his head. Oh, shape good. of his head. Okay. Okay. That's close. We'll allow it. I, I just like, I'm like, like Bono, Bono box. Like these are like, these are like the most like artsy fartsy names. It's like, who named you? F Scott Fitzgerald. Jesus. Christ. It's like, it's like, all right, Georgia O'Keefe. All right. Chill out. Bono box. All right. So like I said, they were influenced by the jam sex pistols and the clash. They then started playing gigs as a cover band and changed their name to the hype. Uh, as a four-piece, they entered and won a talent contest in Limerick in 1978, and the prize was some money and studio time to record a demo to be heard by CBS Records Ireland. By 79, they sold out of all the three-song EPs and signed their record deal. Then, in early 1980, they put out another Ireland-only single on CBS, and on the same day, they played to a crowd of 2,000 at a stadium in Dublin, and it was at that show that Island Records saw them and signed them. And then, this is the coolest shit. When they went into the recording studio and they said, all right, well, how many songs do you have? The band already had 40 songs already written. Insane. Insane. Lily White started experimenting during the record. They started playing bicycle spokes with forks, tapping glass bottles, and recording sexy Mullins drums in the reception area hallway for the acoustics. But only at night because during the day the phone would ring and ruin the take. Boy is uh, the record that came out. I will follow, uh, which got them on U.S. radio. Record went to number 52 in the U.K. and number 63 on the American charts. They set off on their first continental Europe and tour of America, and the rest is history uh, of them being becoming literally, if not, I because I, you, I, I mean this when I say it, they might be the biggest band in the world. I think it's them and the Stones at this point. I'm like, who else? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I love Foo Fighters, but I don't think they have the songs. Um, but, but no, Foo Fighters isn't on the level of. You, yeah, you I just, you know, it's crazy. The Stones, you can say the Stones, but the Stones have been doing it for 50, 60 years. Yeah. You two is just. I, what I love about music and what I love about great artists, like we said back, uh, I'll mention Radiohead, I'll mention the Beatles, uh, and I'll mention you too, is that you start here, right? But then you just keep changing your sound and growing and figuring out how to manipulate your instrument differently. So 
if you play whatever their last record was and then their first record and then you listen to one right in the middle, I mean, it's just three different sounds so different. that all still it's so have different. that YouTube. It, yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. All right, do you want to dive into the record? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the album opens up <laughs> with I Will Follow. Uh, Peter, uh, play a little taste. I was looking at myself. What I love about this song is that this is how you two introduce themselves to the world. And I wonder if when they recorded this, they had any idea of how big it would get. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. did they have any, do, were they, were they, were they egotistical? Were they confident? Like what was, because you have to have some kind of drive that says, no, we're the shit to get you to the level that you two's at right now. I mean, it's it's one of those songs where, because I've seen them perform it all over the world. It's just one of those songs when they start it, everyone is jumping. Like, I don't care how late into the show they play it. Everyone is jumping and screaming. It's just like such a, it's such a like, bitch, I'm fucking here kind of yeah. song, which I think <laughs> is great. To have that, and I think it's something that you write when you're a teenager, and you're, you know what I mean. Like you could just go into it, even though you are like on one level wildly insecure as a teenager. You have this like strange confidence to believe that like what you're doing is important and will resonate with other people in a way. And I think that this song really sort of encapsulates that and sort of kind of represents. It's like one of those like through lines through their entire career, I think is reflected within I Will Follow because like no matter if they're going like artsy or they want to do more glam rock or they want to be more introspective, there's always that certain sort of like idea that like what I say matters and you can relate to it as well. This is a deep you know song I mean? to be this yeah. is a deep song to open your record with because you the, yeah. the lyrics can be can be, you know, believed to be whatever, but I will follow is, it could be religious. It mm-hmm. could be uh, about love. Like, who knows? Uh, so the song is, what we found, is a tribute to Bono's mother who passed away when he was 14. Yeah. And you can hear that in the bridge with the lyrics, your eyes make a circle, are a reference to her name, Iris, and uh, she died. Oh wow, this is this is gonna so be- sad. <laughs> How do we bring? Yeah. yeah, she died at his grandfather's funeral. It seems to be about the bonds of love that can't be severed even by death. And there's also likely some stuff about Jesus in there because this is a Catholic band. Um, yeah, I, I I love that. I love that. If this is your, like I said, your intro to the world, and you're just you know, giving a tribute to one of the most important people in your life. Um, Let me ask you, like, were your parents supportive of your career choice? They were. I mean, strangely enough, like, I think I'm one of those people where sort of kind of took me a minute to sort of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, You know, like, I, you know, I would definitely. What were the options? What were the options? Well, here's the thing. Like, I really just love watching TV and and movies. And so I was like, maybe I'll be a screenwriter. But like, I wasn't even certain on that. But it just sounded nice. And like, 
you could answer a question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? A screenwriter. Everyone go, great. And they will fuck off, you know? Um, and so I just, I truly just wanted to live in New York. Like, I just was like, it's got to be better than Cleveland. You know, growing you up think? in the suburbs is Cleveland is nice. You think? <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> I'll take New York I mean, with I'll take I'll take New York infested with coronavirus over Cleveland uh, any day. And I love Cleveland. Never been yeah, there. Yeah, and only, Cleveland's great. <laughs> never been there, but I've only read. It's great. I think the suburbs are great. I think I'm just a city person and so coming to New York, I just was like I feel like that's where I found myself. And so in 2008, I was 23 going on 24. And I told my parents that like, I think I want to, you know, I had them get, I had them pay, I had them give me money for a birthday present to pay for a, a stand up class, I believe. And I was like, Oh, I'll just try this out. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, I think I'm going to pursue comedy, but I don't know what that means. I'm gonna have a day job and figure it out. And that's literally what I did. I think as long as I was able to pay my bills and like, I wasn't doing you know like i wasn't just like on the street i think they were totally fine with like whatever you want to do which i'm very grateful for were you did you go to film school in new york or was it in cleveland i went to i went to pratt institute in, in brooklyn and i studied writing so it was like a little bit of screenwriting short fiction a little bit of poetry i tried to get into nyu but my grades were trash like i was a probably like a c minus student because i just didn't focus so nyu was like <laughs> like so it applied. was you still applied yeah. holy shit you're like i'm, I'm pulling a strong 68 percentage strong 68 strong <laughs> Yeah, and NYU was like, this is fucking garbage. Get out of here. And I was like, okay, I'll go to an art school in New York because that'll still get me to New York. Um, and then I became an A student once I got to college. Like, and then I, I just was able to write and be creative, and that's what I wanted to do, you know? So, did, so when you left, you left Cleveland, did you already have that, like, lead to Pratt? Did you, like, know so you could be like, I'm moving, but I'm going to school? So they yeah. could be like, all right, that's cool. That's chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's they're they're so supportive. I mean, my dad, he I think he went to college and then dropped out his freshman year because like it just wasn't for him. My boyfriend never went to college. He started uh he, he used to work in music as a um a tour manager. He started out in merch and so he started touring when he was 17. So I've have been surrounded by people where it's like college is not the only thing you have to do. That's one way, but you could do something different. And so I think my parents have been like, whatever works for you because college didn't work for me. So you know what I mean? Yeah. And even if you don't use the degree, you can now speak eloquently about French new wave cinema, which is yes. great to be able to, to talk in detail about breathless, which is all we've ever wanted. All right. That then goes into twilight. Uh, my favorite thing about this song is the solo. Peter, play the solo. <laughs> It sounds, it, they sound so different. It's before the, you know what I mean? It's before the edge found like all the reverb and like really defined their sound. It's so, I'm like, it's so crazy to hear him play the guitar like that without any and effects or any. Dude, yes, it's he great. rips. It's that, yeah. I, you literally took the words out of my page, which is, I just wrote, unlike anything I've ever heard from the edge. Because yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, like, that's like a Nirvana solo. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not like that, like. Yeah, that long, sustainable, like choppy yeah. notes that he does that are incredible. All right. The chorus in this song is 
In the Shadow, Boy Meets Man was about how unexpected tragedy can force a person to grow up quickly, but was also interpreted as being about homosexuality. Oh, word? There's a couple songs on here that the gay community gravitated towards because it's like, you know, it's like you don't know. You look at Bono, you're like, all right, I mean, they're, they're all, like I said, they're all skinny. They're all hygienic. They all had nice hair back then, you know? Just saying. I, I, that makes me happy that like anyone can identify with their music, which I think is like one of the things that they always try to do with their songwritings, make you feel like you because they're, you know, they're a religious band, obviously. And I'm like not religious at all, but I still identify with all of their songs. And it it, it feels very spiritual when I listen to their music, too. So, like, I love that about them. Yeah, there is something about about this band that I mean, not just gays, but blacks and Asians, they can all just say, oh, no, this is this is about my plight. This is about what Mm -hmm. I'm going through in my experience. Um, Now, being that you're a comic and you're a social activist must have been a draw for Michelle Obama to want to collaborate with you on an interview. Did you feel any pressure to be seen in that way with Michelle Obama? I mean, it's one of those things. Her book came out. What is it? It's 2020. Her book came out 2018. And it was my book came out that same year. And I was like, I really want I was like, I want to interview her somehow. And, you know, I just tend to like throw things out into the universe and just go like, we'll see if it happens. And then when she, she, her team had called, because Jess and I were still recording T-Dope Queens, although less frequently because, you know, she just blew up and was like doing all these movies. Uh, So she was traveling a lot, which was like awesome for her. But when uh, Michelle's team called WNYC, who distributed T-Dope Queens, and was like, Michelle wants Phoebe and Jessica to interview her as like their one non-traditional sort of interview for the book. I was like wait she knows who we are wait she's listening to the like it just was really one of those things where you just sort of like pinch me pinch me oh, yeah 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 um and so yeah we we traveled we took the train in dc and we were given 20 minutes because she you know michelle is very busy she has a very tight schedule and we got the book it was like in a manuscript like it was like in a it was all printed out and it had like our names on it so, or whatever. So like if it ever got leaked, we would know like we were the assholes who did it. And I had like less than a week to read it. And I truly was just like, this book is now my life. Like I just absorbed it and took all these notes and I highlighted it. And when I met her, she was just so of all the famous people I've ever met. And it's not like a lot, but of all the famous people I've ever met, she's the only one who didn't want to ever be famous. And so I think that that makes her slightly a different person. It makes her grounded in a way that she, she only want to do acts of service. You know what I mean? And like help young kids feel confident so they can go off and live their lives and like give back. And so, you know, when we sat down and interviewed her, I was like, I just don't want to be ignorant. Like she's got so many degrees. Like yeah. she's this iconic black woman. I don't want to be this dumbass, you know, wasting so her how time. Do you, how do you center yourself? You know, I just was sort of like, okay, I'm going to talk to Michelle Obama. So this might be my only chance <laughs> ever talking to her. So don't fuck it up with like, truly was like, just listen, this is like, this is an LOL. Like, this is a hilarious dream. So just like, try and have fun with her. 
Yeah, dude. Was it completely out of body though when it got started? It it was so like what helps me is I tend to over prepare. So I had like all my notes in front of me and all like so that helped ground me and be like, okay, I know how to write a question so I can get through this. But she's just so disarming and so chill and she was so funny. And you know, she was like showing us pictures of her daughter. So it was just like, oh my God, this is just a woman who's like very accomplished, but like she you know, she raised like teenagers, like she's doing the same things that like my mom mom did with yeah. me you know what I mean yeah. so it made it be less like she's this icon and sort of like okay this is just another like really cool woman that I get to meet that will hopefully like help shape me to be even a better person and she's so funny that's the thing is like you always hear like oh this person's really funny and then you meet them and you're like they're not people just yeah. say that because they're famous but she's really fucking funny and was such a, a, a blast and we ended up interviewing her for 45 minutes because she just had fun hanging out with us and then she was like oh come here we have pizza in the um and the and the like conference room area it was like pizza day do you guys want some food so that we were like sitting there having pizza with michelle obama it was fucking weird that's insane yeah who are you closer with who do you think you're closer with a michelle obama or bono definitely michelle Fuck like yeah, I, ha- dude. I have yeah, her cell see- number yeah oh for, uh, yeah okay all right i'll say one thing about <laughs> michelle obama that that made me love her even more i watched the jill scott versus erica badu versus on instagram and michelle was just commenting like a motherfucker like play green eyes play green eyes. she kept saying it and i was like it was just great. It just, it just, it's something that I don't think I would ever imagine Laura Bush to ever do. A hundred percent, Melania never did. Maybe Betty Ford because that bitch loved to fucking party. That girl threw him <laughs> back. So big ups. All right, let's move on. Um, all right, so the next song is "On Cat Doobie." I can't say that right. I don't know how to say it either. On Cat Doobie. Which means the black cat in Gaelic, and it's about, ooh, this is some scandalous shit. It's about a woman Bono had an affair with during a breakup with his girlfriend and now wife of almost 40 years, Allie. Ooh, scandalous. T, anyone? I don't know if I use that properly, by the way. But I do want to play this part. That, that is T. That's T. Yeah, this is my favorite. This is my favorite part on the whole album. Peter, play 103. To me, it's like if I was if I was Allie, that's Bono's wife, and I'm like, really? You gonna write a song about this other hoe you fucked and then put it on the album? Are you Usher? That's some shit Usher would do. You know that's what I confessions. mean? Yeah, this is that his confessions. The- confessions is way hotter though. I love that song so much. I love that part song two. Is so and, good. I love part one and part two. Confessions. <laughs> great song. Great, great song. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Moving on. Um, out of control? No. Into the heart? Oh, wait. Is, is number four out of control? No, it's number five. So, so let's skip. Oh, sorry. Let's, let's skip. No, no, let's skip to. Let's skip to out of control because... After every listen, I just kept loving it even more. I think it's probably one of the most accessible songs. It's it's got it's the most like pop formula. So uh, Bono wrote this on his 18th birthday because he woke up, had an existential crisis, mm. and realized he had no control over the two biggest decisions of his life: his birth and his death. This is the song he wrote. Peter, play 32 seconds in. first started listening to this album i think i the first time i listened to it was like in high school and i was like oh i don't know because i wasn't really into punk like at all or even anything remotely punk so like clash or moans i was like this is all just fucking noise so i remember when i first heard this song i was like yikes i can't believe they released this song it's so bad and then (laughs) but now i sort of like it really like grew on me in a way and i don't know i just sort of I liked how upbeat it was and I like how there's the one thing about this album in particular, I think when it comes to Bono, it's like you can see that he didn't necessarily have control over his voice yet. And he was still sort of figuring out like how he wanted to sound and how he wanted to sing. And so like, you know, when I started listening to like some of the later stuff first, I was like, oh, he's got it figured out. And then this felt more like he didn't have it figured out. So I was confused by it. But I really like that sort of like rawness about it and that it's not perfect. And I think that's representative of someone having an existential crisis. Like they're going through some shit. Like he's going through shit on this album, and I and I think a really cool way. Think about think about having that that kind of not I don't I, call it, I hate calling it a crisis. I more think of it as, as a breakthrough, where you realize mm-hmm. you're going to die. I had mine at 38, where I was like, I'm going to die one day. I better start enjoying this. He had this at 18. What about you? Have you ever had mm-hmm. Have you ever had a Bono existential kashbloki? <laughs> You know, a real, yeah. a real stuck in the moment. <laughs> you know, one of those hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. A real, <laughs> a real Sunday, bloody Sunday. I mean, I think I've always sort of been like so acutely aware of like I'm gonna die one day. But it was probably last year when I went back to Cleveland because my brother has a niece and nephew, so my niece is like five, and. 
you know, our, the family, they sort of like started her teaching her, her how to vaguely play chess. So we're playing chess together. And it was so fun. And she was just like goofing off and laughing so hard. And I was like, one day I'm going to die. And I'm like, not. Nah, I'm not going to be able to hang out with her. And she's not going to tell me about her day. We're not going to have this cool ass girl bonding. I just got so sad as she was like laughing so much. And that was like, I think most recently where I was like, oh, shit, this is real. Like you got, you know, I couldn't imagine being 18 and having a moment like that. You know, everybody's like, so we're going, mm -hmm. we're going to go to the pub and get drunk. And he's, he's just like, <laughs> He's like, let's enjoy it now, fellas, because it will end one day. All right, Bono, it's your birthday, bro. We're trying to get fucked up with you. Can you stop making us cry? All right, next song, Stories for Boys. Uh, so this and Out of Control were included on their Ireland exclusive debut EP, U2, 3. Like Twilight, this was thought of as being about homosexuality and helped you to gain a sizable gay following. Peter, play 224. So this wasn't uh, about homosexuality. Bono said this was his youthful reaction against advertising and images in the media that depicted the unattainably perfect look that would bring happiness and success. Mm. So basically Bono realized that he would never be James Bond. <laughs> what I got from what I got though, Phoebe from these, from these two songs about it. Cause what that statement about this, about the, the gay community, like gravitating towards this, it almost made me like sad because you got to think this came out in like 79 and 80 when it wasn't socially acceptable to be a homosexual. So you're looking for any little shred of of something just to grab onto to feel like you're a part of something. And it just like like I, we said earlier about how every race, color and creed can listen to the music and be like, it's about us. No, it's about us. It's about us. But it's just there's a there's a there's almost such a melancholy with with finding out that information because it's just like dude it's just like like it's all good like we're well, you know you're fine we're fine it's just i don't know it just kind of made me sad you know it did no but i i mean i know what you mean because you want so many groups were so underrepresented for so long and like even if you did want to have a song like you had to sort of kind of do it in coded messaging like you couldn't really be out out with what you wanted to say and so like I think one of the things that I really like about you too is whether it is for you know queer people or like certainly their politics like they have always I think they always make their concerts a safe space for you to feel like you can be yourself and that's fine you know what I mean and like I think yeah. especially so much of pop when I say pop music I mean like popular music is about like no, you should want to, you should aspire to be like Madonna. Like you should aspire to be like this fantasy. Like I think they were very much like, they didn't really like lean into the fantasy of rock and roll that, and until they got to Octung Baby, which they did. But before that, it was really sort of like, this is what this shit is. And like, th these are things that we're going through. And even though I am in a rock band, I 
I've gone through some real shit. Like I felt some things. I've had some trauma happen to me. And I think that is one of the thing reasons why, like when I go to a concert now, I'll see teenagers all the way up to people in their sixties and seventies there because their music is universal. We all go through shit. You know I mean? We all freak out and be like, is my life enough? Am I doing enough? Like, I'm going to die one day. Like, these are all universal themes that I think they've really tackled in interesting, amazing ways. And the fact that they were doing that as, as teenagers, I'm like, damn, I haven't written anything that profound yet, and I'm 35. But it's just, I don't know, it's just really cool. There's a, there's a, there was a meme that got passed around. I think I shared it a week or so ago, and I'm going to fuck it up. But it's kind of like, it's basically saying, when you're in a good mood, you enjoy the music. When you're going through it, you understand the lyrics. Mm, mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's said way more eloquently. So, so that's why, you know, when I'm said I got sad is because they, the, the gay community in Ireland and around the world probably heard this song and, and it's just like, no, this is, this is about us. This is, this is about our story and it's beautiful. So, so big ups, Bono. <laughs> I love you, buddy. You're a good dude. All right. Next song, The Ocean, uh, which I kind of feel is more of a short musical poem than a song. Uh, Peter, play 25 seconds, bro. This kind of has uh, a Joshua Tree vibe to it. A little bit, right? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit Joshua Tree. And also, I feel like Unforgettable Fire, which definitely, I mean, they would even say like that album was definitely more sketches than like fully completed. Um, and so I liked, you know, when I went back and listened to Boy for the first time, like when I heard The Ocean, I was like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of that sort of like it's unfinished and that's kind of OK, because I think it, it felt like um, it just feels like when you think about art, like art is not necessarily this finished concrete thing. You know what I mean? It's always like moving and changing and especially depending on who's listening to it, like it's going to have a different meaning. So I like that they have these moments where they write songs that are clearly incomplete because it allows you to sort of like fill in the spaces. And I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I, I, you know, what's funny as you were saying it about, about some of their other records I feel like almost this record has an element of every other record after this. Do you know what I mean? Like you can still in every, maybe not like, like you'll hear, like you'll hear boy in pop or you'll hear boy in this, but you, but you can hear in certain, just certain, like you can hear those albums a little bit in this. Do you know what I mean? So this is like the groundwork for it. All right. So, uh, besides him mentioning the title character from Oscar Wilde's nineteen or eighteen ninety novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, uh, about uh, someone who traps their soul in a painting so he can stay young and beautiful and enjoy an unrepentant lifestyle forever, Bono has called it comic megalomania. I think it's about a young man standing on the beach who realizes the ocean will outlive him, so he can either try in vain to change the world in his limited time or spend that time and effort changing himself. Um, wow. I could see that because then the, the next statement, Bono says, the ocean is the thought of every teenager. It is the thought of everybody in a band who thinks they can change the world. So I, I can see... I can see why I asked that question earlier about if they knew that they were going to get this big, 
I, I have to believe that they had that. They just, they had those moments. Like you have those moments when you're playing with somebody where it's just like you're connecting on such a level that you're like, oh yeah, people are going to dig the shit out of this. And then you start playing a show and the next thing you know, you win a battle of the bands, you play in front of 2,000 people and then, you know, you're saving starving children in Africa like four years later. Like that, you could just see the progression. I wanted to ask you about how your world changed after you met Bono. Like, how did your world completely change? I mean, it was one sort of like just teenage dream completed, you know, so I felt very lucky because that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And two, it was sort of like, I don't know, it just felt like this sort of the last time I saw him. So this isn't the first no, one of the last times I saw him. So it's not based on when I met him in Bonnaroo, but he told me one of the things that he really liked about me, which I was like, oh, this is so nice, but <laughs> I was like moist everywhere. But when he, what he said, <laughs> he said, one of the things I like about you. <laughs> Ooh, Bono's getting me hot in my tender middles. Guess one question yeah. before you get into the rest of that. What did, what, what, what's, what's Bono's smell? Like, what is this cologne? Can you, is it a cologne or is it like organic oil? I'm, I'm never good at that. Cause people are like, whenever I meet someone, like what do they smell? Like, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't recall the smell from, he smelled fine. Like I'm sure he uses deodorant, but I will say he's a great hugger. It's a very warm, like, it feels like a nice, like a calm place to be. Great hugs. That guy. I, I, I would just love to, to have you thinking, oh, my God, this guy is such a great hugger. And then Bono, in his head, he's like, this bitch needs to stop squeezing on me. God damn, let me go. I don't know you that well. <laughs> You're like, forget it. You dig my music. Um, the way he said was, one of the things I really like about you is that you you really know who you are and you've never hidden behind anything. Like you just always been yourself flaws and all, and you do that on stage. And he was like, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could just be comfortable to just be myself and not hide behind like commentary or like, you know, playing with alter egos. And so I really, I think just what I felt like is when two sort of creative people really sort of see each other and see themselves in each other. I think that was sort of what was re really inspiring about meeting him. And then just sort of like, he inspired me to just really keep going with like, sort of, I hate to say that I'm an activist because I feel like I, there are people who are much more qualified to have that label, but I feel like he just really encouraged me to just sort of double down on speaking out on things that I believe in and like really trying to like put my, you know, my money where my mouth is. And so like, I think he's just made me like want to stick to my convictions even more. Cause I think that that's something that not only him, but the entire band has done, which I think is really admirable and really hard to do. Cause you get a lot of shit. Like he's gotten a lot of shit for it, for being philanthropic. And he's just like, that's what I want to do. Like, this is part of my mission. And I'm just like, so amazed by that. I think that's so incredible. All right. Moving on to the next song, I want to play a little bit of track eight, A Day Without Me, because I think this might be the only song on the record with that the edge guitar signature sound. Uh, Peter, play 232. <laughs>
All right, so that choppy guitar pedal that Edge uses in almost all of his songs is called the Electro Harmonics Memory Man. And I was just hoping that because he, he started using it on this song, for every song after that, like, he was just like, so, you know, you know what I think would really take this song <laughs> to the next level? How about some a little electro harmonics memory, man? And they're like, all right, but Edge, chill out, dude. We got you. Great song. Who out there? Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Uh, then you've got another time, another place. Um, best thing about this song is that Bono starts speaking in tongues around 3.37. Peter, play 3.37. He don't it's like he's like going full Eddie Vedder right there. He was doing Eddie Vedder before Eddie Vedder. Which is, all right, so just so everybody knows, that is either Gaelic or it's German. I like to believe Bono went full Jesus camp and just started speaking in tongues. He's like, guys, hold up a second. I'm feeling this song. And they're just like, what the God damn it. First we got first we got the edge with his goddamn electro harmonics memory, man. And now fucking Bono is going full is going full fucking uh Pat. I was about to say Pat Bennington, but that's not I, I was couldn't think of a church leader's name. That's how Jewish I am. I tried. Good song, right? It is a good song. I will I will say <laughs> on this song. album, it's like Adam and Larry don't really like they're they're You could tell their sound has like not been defined yet. So there's sort of just sort of like the backbeat for everything. But there's nothing like distinctive where it's like Sunday, bloody Sunday. is like that is Larry. You know his identity. You know what I mean? Yes. When he does that. But like on this album, you don't yeah. get their personalities yet, which I find is like really interesting because I think they... You know, like I, I, I've never met Adam, but Adam seems like the one who's like really cool and like keeps him up to speed on like all the different like musical references. But like Adam and didn't really like have that moment to sort of stand out on the album at all. Yeah. You know, you think you think you think Bono and the Edge were like, oh, so you really wanted to call this the Larry <laughs> Mullen Band when we can't even hear your f- fucking beating this shit? All right, we'll wait till the next record. He's like, wait till the next one. He's like, I got you on the next one. And he did. He came through. He's so improved. I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Uh, the next song I want to talk about is The Electric Company. Uh, and it's about electroconvulsive therapy. An inhumane shock therapy that was used by, hey, I'm going to fuck this up, uh, Granji Gorman 
district mental hospital. So one of Bono's schoolmates was confined there after a suicide attempt, and he had talked about trying again as a way to escape. Uh, so, so Bono wrote this. Peter, play 256. Can you imagine... Like, how many times in the history of, of music, in the history of existence, writing a song about somebody else's pain has gone, like, horribly wrong <laughs> because they weren't as good of a band as you two? Do you know what I mean? Like, 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 like Bono's in a shittier band. He's like, hey, so I, I heard about what you went through with the electroshock therapy, so I, I wrote a song about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, can you go ahead, and, go ahead and play it for me? And Bono's like, all right, here we go. Shock, shock, shock. I'm shocking your ass with shock and shock. Shock, shock in your ass. All right, dude. Yeah, that's not a song I want released, Bono. It's can you not release that? Write a better song about my pain. It's just crazy. Great song. The band is so heavy and it's such a great song. And then you think about like other people and their teens, like they were heavy fucking teenagers in a way that like I feel like even American pop was like not that heavy. Well, you just said it right there. You just no. You just said it right there. You said American pop. This is there's something about the United Kingdom that produces incredible, painful music. There is, I'm telling you, like not just because all the great rock bands of the '60s and the '70s, even like the late '90s, early 2000s, like you don't get a band like Portishead unless you grow up in Bristol, England, which is dark and rainy and just your family is working class and there's a feudal system. And and it's just like, you have to be put in that kind of situation to produce art like this. And so in America, you know how we are. I mean, we're going through a goddamn pandemic. Half the goddamn country can't even wear masks. (laughs) And and it's like, Stay inside, and it's like to save lives, and nobody gives a fuck because here it's all lollipops and rainbows, and in the rest of the world, it's fucking real. And in England, it is really real. Yeah. Because I feel like they feel a little bit differently than us, you know? All right, last song on the record, Shadows and Tall Trees. The title comes from Chapter 7 of William Golding's 1954 novel, Lord of the Flies, about a group of boys who survive a plane crash on a deserted island only to lose their innocence to violence after failing to form a civilized society. And the song explains the violence we all have in all of us. Peter, uh, play the chorus. Okay, so I will say on that song, when I heard that song, I was like, yeah, maybe my parents are right. This is uh, this is white nonsense. Okay, <laughs> all right. Hey, Bono, shadow and tall trees. It's, it's it's not it's not my favorite song yeah. on the record, and I and I don't think you should have ended the record that way. I, I feel like there's a couple other songs maybe that you could have ended this with. Um, but also maybe that this is like an epilogue. Maybe it's just something completely different, a different sound they were trying out. Like we said, keep in mind they're 18 years old. You know what I mean? They haven't started working with Brian Eno yet. Facts. So a guy that can construct a perfect record. All in all, very pleased with this album uh, as my first like real foray 
into digging into a full U2 album. Yeah. I'm so excited for Actum <sighs> Baby. Like, I really, I'm so excited to hear, like, Red Mining Town again and, and be able to, like, you know, just, like, I, I feel like you have to know where the band has been to know how they got to Lemon. Do you know what I mean? She mm-hmm. won't lemon. You, you, didn't, you like you two so much, you fuck with lemon. You fuck I with love lemon. lemon. I love it. <laughs> it's so fucking different for them. But like Octung Baby, I will say, having this conversation, like a lot of the sort of like heaviness of that album. I see in boy, even though Octung is so different and so like informed by like electronic music and like, you know, David Bowie and all that shit, like just the heaviness of like what they were talking about juxtapositioned against like some of the beats they chose that were like sort of upbeat. Uh, uh, it's such a great album. Oh my God. It's so good. good. You're, you're going to lose your mind. It's so great. I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait. You want to do some fat, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Yes, Sure. <laughs> Facts and facts, trees. Facts and facts. All right. You two signed their Island Records contract in the ladies' bathroom after a show because it had the best lighting. That's a momentous improvised moment. So... (laughs) I mean, like, that's a real thing, like lighting. Like, I see people yeah. do that with pictures. I don't understand about the contract, but <laughs> I, I want to take, take this back to the Michelle Obama thing. Okay. We're talking about best lighting, uh, improvised moments. Did you feel free to riff with Michelle, or did you have to stick to the script? Like, where were you in that moment? So I, I um, interviewed her five times on her book tour. The first time I truly stuck to all my questions that were written out. And like, I was sweating so much. I was so nervous to be on stage with her. Um, but then like by the end, like I could like sort of like ask her different questions and sort of riff on stage. And it was like really fun and easy and felt like two girlfriends hanging out. But the first time I was like, just don't fuck this up for black people. I was like, do not do it. <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> have oh, you ever gosh. talked to, have you ever talked, have you talked to Michelle about like your love for you too? Like just to see if you can connect on that level. I haven't. Cause I don't want to be like, so this other famous person I know, but no, 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 no. Not yeah. even mentioning meeting, not even mentioning okay, meeting. I'm okay. just being like, yeah. just talking music. You're talking shop something you love trying to connect you know you haven't brought have, it up we haven't like talked about music like usually it'll be like we'll just like check in about each other's families and then when she had like a couple of deals announced on Hollywood Reporter I like texted her about that and and then like we checked in during the quarantine just to be like this shit's weird right and like she's already like how are we going to change the world and like she's listing like all these things she's like thought about and I was like I haven't thought about any of that. And I was like, oh, that we're on different levels. She's so fucking smart. So I was just like, so I wrote back though. some bullshit. And I was like, oh, that was not a great conversation for me. <laughs> You're like, all right, stay safe. Yeah. You, just, you, gotta, you gotta close it out. Just make sure. Put the little kiss on there. Stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe. Hit me up whenever. God bless your soul. I love it. All right. The boy on the cover is Peter Rowan, the younger brother of Bono's friend from across the street who previously appeared on their debut EP and would again on their third album, War. 
His photo was purposely underdeveloped as a metaphor to represent the transition out of boyhood into maturity. However, Damn. the cover was originally banned. The cover was originally banned in America due to it possibly being misconstrued to promote pedophilia. So the record company switched the U.S. cover to a distorted image of the band. Yeah, wow. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. But also it's 1980. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Totally different time. So I could see yeah. that. When have when have your actions been completely misconstrued? Ooh, that's a good question. Um you know, I think one of the things I'm learning uh about being in a long term relationship, especially when you're living with a person and this is like your person, is that as a comedy person, I will always try to go for a joke to sort of diffuse. Which I think makes the other person go, well, you don't fucking take what I say seriously because you're just joking the fuck around and like you want to be liked all the time, which I do think is, you know, that's real talk. I really do want to be liked all the time. And so that's a thing where it's like you have to just be careful how you act because sometimes you won't be acting out of honesty to yourself, but out of what is going to be the quickest way to get someone to be like, oh, I like you. Oh, you're great. So you like, I always think like, I just worry about sometimes do I go for someone liking me at the risk of like not being authentic, which I, I don't know if that was like too heavy of an answer, but yeah. I think, you know. No, 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 no. That was a perfect answer. Cause I, I, as, as comics, you know, you know how much we love instant gratification. There's nothing better than given that they say something, we hit them back with a funny little riff. They laugh. We feel comfortable. We feel confident. Mm -hmm. And then we feel in control, which is the way we are on stage. Um, you know, the best thing I ever heard, which is don't hang out with people because you want them to like you. Just hang out with them because you like them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Once I started believing that, I stopped trying and all the famous people I wanted to like me. Now they just like me because I'm like, no, I'm just, yeah. I just like you. You're cool. And then it just kind of, but dude, there's nothing sweeter than hitting that fucking riff. When somebody drops like, dude, my grandma's got, got toenail cancer. Like, toenail cancer? <laughs> That's real? <laughs> no, that's, I don't even know what I'm saying. All right. After the first single was released, you two played a show a week for a month at the Marquee Club in London. The first week, it was half full. The second week, it was full. The third week, there was a line around the block. And on the fourth week, they had to close the street down. I love wow. that. I, I just love that. It's just like the word of mouth and people are like talking about them and, and it's just like, it just keeps growing. So has, what was, what was your two dope Queens closed down the street moment? Like, when did you know, when did you know this shit's real? I think it was. So we started it. 2014. It wasn't originally two dope Queens, but we just, and I started working together 2014 and it was probably when the podcast came out in April 2016 and its first week it went to number one on iTunes around the world. And we were like, what is happening? People like want to listen to this show. They want to listen to us. Like we just didn't expect it. We fully started the show because we we're like, 
you don't see any other like stand up shows in the alt scene that have two women of color as the host and that have like all different kinds of comedians on. So we'll just start it ourselves. But we never we didn't expect it to resonate with people the way that it did. And I think for me, for sure, it showed that like. You know, like there'd be people who would send me messages and they'd be like, you know, I never used to go to comedy shows because I would never see like any women doing stand up or I would never see any gay people doing stand up. So I just felt like the stand up shows were just not accepting of anybody who wasn't a guy or a straight guy. And that just made me go, oh, this is this is helping people feel like they're being seen. And so I think that was a moment where Jess and I was like, oh, this is bigger than what we thought was just, you know, doing at the Bell House in Brooklyn, just doing a Brooklyn show. You know, it's crazy. What was your have you had like a Beatles moment, like where you're being chased or anything? <laughs> and it's like overwhelming. We never had that. I will say when we taped our, our show for HBO, that was definitely we were like, because when we first started, we were just sort of like, oh, this is like a fun hobby, whatever. Like, I just want to do like purely just stand up and Jess was still just like daily show, whatever. And they were sort of like, oh, yeah, this two up queens is gaining traction. And I think when we were able to sell it to HBO and they just sort of let us do our thing. And we came out and we got this like standing like ovation from the crowd. We were just sort of like, what the fuck? This is so crazy. Like we were just like, this is so nuts. Like, I mean, outside of like Wanda Sykes, like at that point, I hadn't seen a black woman on HBO except for sorry, Wanda Sykes and Issa Rae. So I was like, the fact that we're now joining that company made me feel like so honored. Like, I don't in any way think we're as funny as Wanda Sykes, but I was like, just to be like lumped in there with her felt so cool and so surreal yeah. and you know oh, I can imagine yeah. oh, I can imagine and HBO is is like that's the pinnacle that's like it's there's still this level of like I don't want to say like respect but just HBO has such grace like there's something very beautiful even even like down to like the fact that they have Sesame Street yeah. on them now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a special network. Like, fuck Showtime. So, Showtime can suck my ball. I hate Showtime. And if anybody tells me to watch Ray Donovan, they can they can suck my dick. Fuck them. I hate Showtime. All right. Um, I, I love it. That As you were saying that, Phoebe, that gave me, like, goosebumps. Like, it really did. Especially just the, the feeling I could imagine of, like, just going onto iTunes and suddenly seeing, you know, with just episode one across the the globe, like that's that's fucking beautiful. So I'm I'm really really that's so cool, dude. All Thanks. right, final final fact: at a show during the boy tour, Bono jumped off a speaker and ripped his pants open. When the audience and press laughed at him, he launched into an angry tirade, saying things like, "I bought." those clothes so I could look like you. Did I say that right? I bought those clothes so I could look like you instead of being embarrassed. What's the most embarrassing thing you ever did to fit in? Ooh, gosh. Most embarrassing thing I ever did to fit in. Hmm. Okay, so I definitely was like transplant from the Midwest and when I first like started living in New York and going to college, I would buy all this like I love New York merch 
and wear that as like the, the, this is what New Yorkers wear. No. Yeah, I did. I had like an no. I love New York merch T-shirt with like Steve Madden cowboy boots. And like I was you're walking down the street like when you are fed, you got to say, but you say, but you can always go downtown. The Siba Daba Diva do. Who is this crazy? I know. Midwest, and I look back and I was like, Midwest bitch. I was like, what the fuck was I thinking? But I was like, this is I'm going to blend in. I'm a New Yorker now. Like, this is what they did on Sex in the City. Like, just fucking idiotic. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> that is bad. I've never agreed with somebody on that. But yeah, man. And I was and I was like a candy raver with Jinkos and Fresh Jive and Echo shirts way too big. And I mean, I would never wear a fucking I love L.A. shirt and walk around this funky ass town. Phoebe, I, I can't thank you enough. This was so much fun. Like, I mean it. This was so great. Um, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on, darling. Of course. Thank you guys so much. And I hope you're staying safe for real. This is like weird as fuck. Yeah. Was it right or was it right or was it right? The one and only Phoebe Robinson, guys. For all things Phoebe, go to her website, phoeberobinson.com. Follow her on all social media at Dope Queen Phoebs. Don't forget to listen to her podcast, So Many White Guys, on Spotify. Pick up her two books, You Can't Touch My Hair, and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, and Everything is Trash, But It's Okay. You can find that on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. It's dope, dope, dope. Also, she's got an upcoming Comedy Central interview series called Doing the Most with Phoebe Robinson. It's launching later in the year. Follow her on social media so you can find out all things Phoebe and to find out the date of the premiere of Doing the Most with Phoebe Robinson now. We just listened to you 2 from 1980. This week, our music director, Maddie Penfield, picked Biffy Slyro. I think that's how you say it. They're a three-piece from Scotland, huge all over the world, not that big in America, but they have played every major festival you can name. Their new album is titled A Celebration of Endings. They got two new singles that you can stream now on Spotify, Instant History and Tiny Indoor Fireworks. Check it out, and you can find all the links on our website, 500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and you're influenced by one of these albums or artists, you want your music featured on the 500 website send your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com make sure you put the album and artist that influence you in the subject line next week it's tom wakes week as we dig deep into his 1999 album mule variations so y'all got some homework to do listen to the album on spotify stay fleecy Dougal, Dougal, black lives matter okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -ch
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Next Chapter Podcasts.